Welcome to the Story of God podcast, where each episode helps everyday men and women see how they fit into the grand narrative of God's redemptive plan. Here's Ezra and Janelle. What does faithfulness look like? That's what we're focusing on today in the first half of Matthew 25. And in this chapter, we start off with the story of the 10 virgins and them being ready or not ready with their lamps. And then we also have the story of the servants with the talents and what they did with those. Were they faithful? And with these two passages, these two parables, Jesus shows us what true faithfulness looks like. And so let's go ahead and get into Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So here we're looking at Matthew chapter 25 and just the beginning of it, we have the talents and the 10 virgins and we're, Jesus is really trying to teach his disciples um, what faithfulness in the kingdom looks like. And through these two parables, let's start with the first one here. So we have the parable of the 10 virgins and you have the five foolish and the five that are wise. And kind of the big takeaway here is that the five wise are ones who are prepared. They have their oil all ready to go whenever the bridegroom comes. You know, they're sitting there waiting and ready. Whereas the other five, um, they don't have their oil. Maybe they're also waiting for the bridegroom to come, but they're not ready. Um, and this struck me while I was reading it because I thought it it shows that they know that the bridegroom is coming. So this is actually talking about people who know Jesus is coming, um, but they're just not ready. They think they have time to get ready before he comes. And of course, this passage speaks to some of the cultural implications of that day, how marriages were conducted in the great anticipation of the bridegroom that, that we don't, I don't know, I don't would say we would exactly have that same anticipation in the West today. Um, take our marriage, for example, Janan. I don't think there was the same anticipation for me as there was in this context. Hmm. You don't think so? Did you say that was the case? I feel like our culture, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like our culture talks more about waiting for the bride. Yeah. You know, you wait for the bride to come down the aisle and the bridegroom's just standing there. Mm -hmm. You know, like we really focus on the bride a whole lot more. I know the bridegrooms, they kind of get a, I don't know. Sorry about we've, that. We've been devalued over the years. <laughs> but again, going back to that, Christ is the bridegroom. So he's going to return for us. And so thinking of that from that perspective, uh, anticipating being ready. The parable of the talents. I, I think this is very interesting as well, because um, when the master of the house goes away, he doesn't specifically say, here's exactly what I want you to do with your money or with the money that I'm entrusted you with. But he expects that when he comes back, something uh, is supposed to be done. And so that says something about the relationship that God has with us is that God entrusts us to be fruitful. I like that word, um, be fruitful, be faithful. But uh, the definition of fruitfulness and faithfulness isn't clearly always defined. And I think this is really interesting too, because um, I mean, often, at least in my life, I have thought God is going to tell me exactly what I need to do. Like every door I need to walk through is just going to be standing there with a sign, like walk through me. <laughs> Like this is, this is the next thing. And God's going to show me exactly how I'm supposed to use what he's given me. But that's not necessarily the case. You know, there've been a lot of times in my life, there's been sometimes God's been very clear. Um, one was marrying you, Ezra, since mm, we're talking about yeah. marriage. Um, but there've been other times when God's given me a choice and that's kind of a scary feeling. Um, but in those situations, I've tried to look at what he's also given me with that choice. You could say the, the, um, maybe the skills or the situation or whatever. And then you just, you do have to decide what to do yourself. And I don't know, uh, Tim Keller, he mentioned this a little while ago and I like this. He said, uh, basically that when it comes to say church planning models, oftentimes we talk about successful church plants or, when we get tired of talking about success and numbers all the time, then we gravitate towards faithfulness. We'll just be faithful. And he says something that I thought was very helpful. He said, rather than going to those two extremes, 
because sometimes the connotation with faithfulness is just, well, I just show up each day and I'm going to make it to heaven and I'll just be faithful, but I'm not really going to do much to impact the lives of others. Whereas mm-hmm. success kind of, you know, it denotes, oh, I'm going to be very active, but sometimes at the expense of my personal faithfulness to God. Mm-hmm. But a better measuring stick that he offers is fruitfulness. And I really like that, that their fruitfulness um, depends on the context. You might have someone who labors for years, doesn't see much fruit, but they're fruitful because they're in a very tough context. And so it depends on the resources they've been given. It depends on on their uh, skills and abilities, natural talents, spiritual giftings that they have. And so I, I think that's a big thing to be faithful in the truest sense of the word, is, is to be fruitful. I love that. And, you know, when you look at this passage, too, the the same results are not expected of everyone. And you talked about that a little bit, the context and where ha, where are you? What talents have you been given? You know, the one well, that was... And, and the challenge there, just to interrupt for a second, um, is that people that are often in very fruitful context or, or where they see a lot of success, right, they are often held up as models for those in tougher contexts. And um, I've done this with interviewing a lot of different church planners over the last year for my doctorate. That was a big thing that it was highlighted to me that sometimes people that were working in very tough, difficult situations would go to church conferences and the people that are on the stage giving advice are sometimes in very uh, more Christian communities. So they're able to accumulate a crowd much easier um, but their the definition of fruitfulness might vary dramatically for these two different groups of people based on the context of where they're at. And when you look at this passage, the one that was given five talents was expected to make five talents again. The one that was given two talents was expected to make two talents. The one that was given one was expected to at least gain interest on it. Yeah. Um, but you, we can't just bury what God's given us. And you know, not, not everyone's necessarily called to do what we've done in our lives. We're all in different situations, but if you are a Christian, God has given you talents, skills, abilities, and, um, a, a place, a place to be and a place to minister to just the people around you, even if it's your next door neighbors or the people at work. And he expects you to use what he's given you. Well, in verse 23, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much and enter into the joy of your master. And so this tells us something about the nature of, of heaven, of the new earth, that there will be varying rewards in heaven based on our faithfulness in earth. And the connection between works and and salvation has always been a tricky one that theologians have wrestled with over, over the years. And basically, though, it comes down to this, that our, our, it's, our works don't save us. We're saved by grace through faith. End, end of discussion. That's it. But there are, there are our, our works are important. Our works don't save us, but it's expected that when we enter into a relationship with Christ, that we'll be fruitful. And if there's no fruit coming, that's evidence that something hasn't taken place in our lives, that that the power of the gospel is not changing us. And so works are to be a natural outflow of our deepening relationship with God. And so I don't know how all this plays out, but this passage does seem to indicate that those Christians that kind of enter into relationship with God, but then kind of just sit on their hands, 
and they they're kind of borderline if you could use that word maybe they've accepted christ they attend church that kind of thing but they're not really that engaged there's going to be different levels of reward and responsibility in heaven based on their decisions and i know that opens up so many discussions and questions but that is reality from this passage. And I want to, you know, make sure we point out here that this passage isn't here so that we live in fear. You know, we're not supposed to live in fear of missing it, you know, like the five virgins in the first part did, or the fear of Jesus taking away what he once gave us because we never used it. It's not meant to have us live in fear. It's meant to encourage us to do something with our talents and to be ready and living in a a relationship day by day with Jesus. One of my clients recently, he was talking about this passage and he mentioned, he said, you know, as Ray said, in today's equivalents, they talk about putting money in in the bank or giving it to, to bankers so that there's a return on the investment. He said, with inflation, the way it is today, just putting your money in the bank is actually worse than burying it in the ground. And I hadn't thought about it that way, but I was like, actually, you're right. Uh, Because just to put our money in the bank, so to speak, today, where inflation costs over the years, uh, and if we don't invest it, we're actually going to be losing money in the long run. And so I thought that was kind of an an interesting point that that he made. Um, But it just stresses the point. This passage isn't really about um, the, the money necessarily that we have, but the resources that we have time, energy, resources, and do we actually put those to good use or do we just kind of put them on the sidelines? So as we wrap up Matthew chapter 25 today, or the first half of it at least, I just want to encourage you as you go throughout your day, look at the things that God has given you in your life, the resources, the abilities, look at how you're using them or are they sitting there? Are they kind of just buried in the ground or put in the bank? And so today, kind of take take a look at what's going on and how you are using them and put your faith into action. Thank you for listening to the Story of God podcast. For more info on this program or to access other resources that will help you turn Sunday belief into Monday action, please visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.